Welcome to Conservation Conversations, the podcast where we discuss emerging technologies, global trends, and the future of biodiversity conservation with some of the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Sean O'Brien, President and CEO of NatureServe, where we've been working for 50 years to protect endangered species and ecosystems. With this podcast, we want to introduce our audience to some of today's key players in conservation and share the amazing work being done around the globe to protect our planet's rich biodiversity. All right, I'm here today with Ellen Schultzebarger, who is the director of the Pennsylvania Bureau of Forestry in the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources there in Pennsylvania. And Ellen is Pennsylvania's first female state forester, uh, which is one of the things that I wanted to talk about just a little bit today is sort of your background and how you became the uh, state forester and what inspired you to go into forestry. Yeah, well, good question. And that's always something that um, I'm always interested in the path that kind of uh, gets folks to where they are. And for me, I guess, uh, you know, when I was younger, I was always very interested in nature. Either we were running around in, in um, the forest or, or in the creek behind our house. Uh, and I actually fell in love with um, probably the natural resources by watching nature on PBS. I don't know if- I Toy remember Club it well. All the, yeah, those, uh, those nature Page. shows. Yes. Um, that actually was pretty significant in my life. And, and really I thought I was, I was gonna be some you know, nature narrator, uh, but really that got me interested in natural resources. And I knew I wanted to go that direction. I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. Um, I really liked wildlife and, and so I went into wildlife management, but I will say probably what got me to where I am today was I remember my first wilderness policy class and it was kind of there that I was like, yeah, I like this policy uh, and planning side of things. And so really I went in, in that direction and um, well, and my first position was with the Massachusetts Natural Heritage and, and Endangered Species Program. And um, that got me hooked on the uh, aspect of uh, management and species or resources and, and kind of that tie between those. Um, and ultimately came down here uh, to Pennsylvania's Natural Heritage Program here within the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources and got pulled into more and more policy and planning related things. And, and I guess um, that's where uh, you know, I, I landed today, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting about uh, George Page on nature. I can still hear his voice. Uh, I remember watching that show faithfully every week. Mm -hmm. um, then of course, David Attenborough comes in yeah. and uh, Jacques Cousteau. And so those were incredibly influential uh, for me as well, which is kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, and and who knew that you know TV shows could do that? But for sure, for me, it brought me into a world that I wasn't seeing at home. and. Uh, you know, it really, really did get me interested. That's so great. Um, and so you uh, you moved down to Pennsylvania to take on just a small job of uh, overseeing 2.2 million acres of uh, forested land there in Pennsylvania. And uh, you have a very challenging job, I think, because you're trying to manage for conservation of uh, endangered species, as well as for timber harvest and water quality. And it's it seems like there's so many axes on which you're trying to balance 
uh, the management of these forests. Can, can you talk a little bit about like how you do that? And like, uh, it's sort of too much to comprehend. Yeah, no, and, and, and for sure it, it, it definitely is something that uh, keeps me and, and us on our toes. Um, as far as though balancing those uses and values, and and okay, so we've we've got 2.2 million acres of state forest land, but you know we also work on on private land as well, and 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 work on forest health and sustainable forest management, and even the rare species side of things. But probably one of the biggest um, benefits is the planning aspect. Is really understanding what your resources are, where they are, um, how best to manage for those things. So if you're comparing a wildlife habitat to a new ATV trail or something like that, understanding what the effects the trail could have on whatever that resource is. And yeah. so for us, um, planning and understanding and, and guiding where, okay, we would want these type of um, activities in this area versus um, you know, managing for a certain species or resource over here. So you moved down to Pennsylvania to take on just a tiny little job of managing 2.2 million acres of public forest, which is a massive amount of, uh, of forest. And uh, you have to balance all sorts of things, uh, endangered species and timber harvest, uh, clean water and all sorts of other things. And uh, one of the things that I think is exciting is you must be doing a really good job because the Sustainable Forestry Initiative and the Forest Stewardship Council have both certified the work that you do as meeting their standards. And I'm curious how important those third-party certifications are to not just to you, but to the state of Pennsylvania and the government and, and what, they, what they mean. Yeah, and, and uh, I will say, thankfully, I had you know, 15 or so years here working in the Bureau before I took on this role. So uh, thankfully I had some some time under my belt. It wasn't just a right away thing. But yeah, uh, the FSC and the SFI certification, uh, I've really been uh, a fan of the certification process and what goes into uh, maintaining those certifications for the state forest system. And, and really we're audited every year to these different standards within FSC and SFI and that uh, is really looking at environmental and social and, and economic standards um, to ensure that the forest and, and those resources for managing are um, harvested or managed sustainably. And so I, I often really enjoy that process. And, and I think it's a really important process as uh, stewards of the Commonwealth's forests that we're ensuring that we are managing to all of those standards and really managing the forest as, as well as it could be managed. Um, and, and an important component of that, I guess, kind of tying in our, our nature serve uh, and, and heritage conversation is, is um, an important component has been that we are closely tied in with our heritage program and an understanding of those biodiversity or ecological resources that are on the ground and how we're incorporating them into our management and into our planning, ensuring that you know, clean water and um, you know, buffers and, and certain aspects are being followed to ensure that that management is as um, uh, sustainable and appropriate as it could be. Yeah, it's, it's super important to protect for future generations, but also for the ecosystem services that we get today from a sustainably managed forest. 
Correct. And, and I'm super glad you mentioned the uh, Natural Heritage Program because you used to work for the Pennsylvania Natural Heritage Program. And uh, NatureServe is, uh, in many ways, we think of ourselves as the hub of a wheel and the Natural Heritage Programs um, make up the outside of the wheel and where we sort of hold them together with all the spokes in the middle. And that's where we are a special organization because NatureServe is national and international working in Canada as well with natural heritage programs there to have access to all this important data on um, imperiled species across the country. And uh, so I wanted to just, can you tell us a little bit more like what do natural heritage programs do and what does the Pennsylvania program do? Sure, yeah. and and. Coming from the Massachusetts and now uh, in the Pennsylvania Heritage Program, I certainly have always had a special place in my heart for heritage programs. So um, uh, I'll, I'll speak to at least ours, but I know uh, many of them are pretty similar, is that we collect ecological information. So information on uh, plants and animals and invertebrates and, and plant communities or forest communities. and then make that data and information available for planning purposes or, or land use decisions. And um, really it is collected in a uh, just kind of a standardized format, which going back to NatureServe, um, it has been extremely uh, helpful and significant to have a standardized process across all of the states on how we collect this information on, on these um, ecological resources or these rare species. Um, and so it's really nice as we're going through the process of um, collecting the information and then sharing it to be able to go back to the fact that we're following these national and international standards of how the data is collected across, you know, the whole Northeast or, or you know, whatever you would, however you would describe it. But it has been great to um, have this network where we are all uh, collecting this information in the same way and really ultimately to have other uh, states or partners to work with on, okay, so what's the best way to share this information and make it available or um, how can we best get this into the hands of those decision makers on, um, you know, incorporating these resources into their planning processes. I'm glad you mentioned the network because uh, it reminded me that actually the first time I met you was at a uh, a camp in Pennsylvania and you were making a presentation about the work of the Pennsylvania program and your slides got all next mixed up. <laughs> and I thought as a result, you had the best presentation because it was very like spontaneous right. and natural and we saw your personality right. come through. It was very, very fun. I'm sure it was well, painful for you at the time. Eventually, I just gave up and we just let it all, uh, we let the, the slides kind of guide what we were going to talk about. Yeah, it, it was awesome. I thought it was one of the best ever. Oh, well, uh, good. <laughs> so one of the things that Pennsylvania's Natural Heritage Program does, um, that it shares with several other states, but does in a slightly different way, is you have Pennsylvania's Conservation Explorer, which is an online tool that people can use to gain access to information about where imperiled species are. And um, so I wanna talk about these, what we sometimes call uh, environmental review tools, um, and then to talk specifically about one of the things that I think is exciting about Pennsylvania's. But so you were there at the beginning of this tool, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Um, so, so when I started in the natural heritage programs, both in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, I was doing environmental review. So making that connection between, um, you know, either permit decisions or land use decisions, and then that species data and information that we had and how to kind of protect and, and ensure conservation of those species. So, um, you know, early on we had kind of, we did have a tool, but it was pretty archaic and, and there wasn't really a good way to connect in a timely fashion with um, those that are looking to either do certain developments or, or even if you were looking to acquire land for protection, you know, a local conservancy. Mm -hmm. uh, our process was pretty time consuming and um, there was a great lag in, in getting the information and sharing the information. And it was actually at a uh, NatureServe conference um, a couple years ago. We were sitting in the back of, uh, you know, some colleagues and I were sitting in the back of the room listening to a presentation in Virginia of uh, a tool that they were working with you guys on. And I remember us just getting super excited and saying, you know what, this is exactly what we need. And so we worked with you guys um, and, you know, Virginia and some other states and understanding how they're applying it. And we really created what, what we felt was a, a robust tool to be able to get to folks in the early planning stages. And, and that was one of the important pieces for us was we met with all kinds of stakeholders that, and users of this data. You know, so if you're building a highway or, or um, you know, we have coal in Pennsylvania or oil and gas to, uh, like I said, um, conservation projects. How and when do you use, how do you use the data and when do you want, when do you need to use it? And really um, understanding the land was a super early need in your process. And so uh, it was important for us to get that information to folks earlier, as, as early as we could in that process. And this tool allowed us to do that. And, um, and I think it's been quite successful in, in enabling that. Yeah, so Greg uh, Podnozinski, who's the chief of the Pennsylvania Natural Heritage Program, has given us some information on usage of the tool. And uh, something like 25,000 projects a year in Pennsylvania are researched through the uh, Conservation Explorer. And one of the things that's exciting about that is it means that anytime somebody is going to disturb the land, they're checking against this Conservation Explorer. And they're able, as you said, to get an answer very quickly and early in the process in most cases. And then in some <laughs> cases they have to you know, get a little bit more personal attention from somebody. And uh, the state charges a small fee for this information and is able to use that fee from 25,000 projects to fund natural heritage work. And I think it's such an exciting way to do it because it's, it's a small enough charge, it's I think $40 per report mm -hmm. that it's, it doesn't, affect the cost of any project that's uh, getting the permit, but it brings in a lot of money to the state to promote conservation. It's a very uh, uh, unusual and innovative approach that Pennsylvania is taking. Yeah, and, and, and um, it has been really beneficial and, and we did, it did take us a while to work through that with both you guys and then also with all of the partners within the state. And I think really that was the important component for us. And I think um, what has made it successful is 
that we really did work with those users um, pretty heavily over the development of this tool and, and that fee um, and then the information that's being shared was really widely accepted as far as you know what you're getting with that quick, quick review timeframe and that quick understanding of, of what you do have resource wise on your on that proposed property. Um, but so it, it has been really helpful for us and that fee then goes back into the tool itself, managing it, managing the data and ensuring that we have the most up-to-date information in that tool. So um, the user knows, or um, a lot of those projects are used for environmental permitting processes. Mm -hmm. So our local Department of Environmental Protection is, is assured that that's the most up-to-date information on rare species in, at those sites. So it, um, the, the quick turnaround and the, the ability for us to quickly update the tool was really important and I think has um, been really uh, a, a key component to conservation planning or land use planning in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's, it's a super fantastic tool and we're, uh, we're working with about a dozen states now to put together similar tools. Everyone's slightly different depending on the regulations in their state, uh, but Pennsylvania is definitely a leader in uh, in this area, which we're excited about. And I think what you mentioned there with using the money that the tool generates to make sure that the data are accurate is one of the most important components of this whole thing. Making sure you have accurate data on where threatened and imperiled species are is really the key because if you get it wrong, then you might accidentally do some real harm uh, to an endangered species. And so having uh, groups like the Pennsylvania Natural Heritage Program out there collecting this data and constantly trying to improve it is really such an important part of uh, protecting the natural heritage for everybody in this country, not just not just Pennsylvania. Yeah, yes, agree. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that I, been talking about with people a lot lately is uh, data and access to data. And um, I don't know if you think about it very much, but I'm curious about sort of you, there's citizen science data out there that's publicly available. And then there's data that places like natural heritage programs collect that are stored, but aren't necessarily as easily attainable. And so I'm thinking a lot about uh, open data and access to data. You know, you hear these things. Well, people don't hear it that much because I'm a, a nerd and so I read in the technology news, but you know, uh, data wants to be free. Uh, <laughs> it's one of these things that you hear. And uh, I'm curious about what your department is thinking about in terms of access to data and sharing data and making data open and available. Yeah, and, and that's a really good question because that was, um, you know, a lot of the conversations um, surrounding the rare species data and this explorer tool was how to make the data available while you're still protecting those resources. Because, you know, for years, uh, you know, the biologists were pretty um, protective of that data, knowing that what was behind it was something that could be highly collectible or could be damaged pretty easily by um, overlove with visitation. Right. Uh, and so how to balance that really was um, a challenge as we were developing it and building in those kind of protections within the tool. 
Um, and so we did go to a, oh, a level of sharing, you know, kind of the, the less endangered things, but still yeah. while, while uh, protecting the, the, the details of where those endangered species are. But I will say, I think this is a good question and conversation to continue to have is how can we share this information and collect good data um, without either compromising the integrity of it or, you know, so say, for example, the NatureServe data, there is a standardized protocol and, and you know, it all gets QC'd. Um, when you move your question about the citizen sciences, you know, often you hear some concerns about citizen science, but we have this great ability to train folks and folks are interested. So I guess, um, you know, how do we move forward with incorporating and, and opening the data as far as um, not having it so strict because I, things are changing so quickly. You know, if you think mm -hmm. about all of the um, invasive species issues or um, trying to understand where do we have populations? Cause we've got actually a lot of people submitting data to us um, mm -hmm. as far as, you know, what they're finding across the state. So um, I think that that is something that we are talking about and we did with the Explorer, but how do we move that forward and incorporate those things that you're talking about? And I don't know, um, I know you guys have been doing some exploring there and, and I think some might be um, more hesitant to move in those directions. And so maybe some guidance or, or some thoughts on how you could move there and, and do it that it won't, it won't make folks uncomfortable with moving um, outside of this QC process that, that folks are probably used to, if that makes right. sense. Right, yeah, it does. Um, and I also think about data wanting to be free is Potentially, it's free in terms of cost or free as in free access, but maybe cost something. It's just right. interesting uh, ways to manage it because data actually costs something to create and generate, especially if you're doing it for something complicated uh, like endangered species. So, um, you know, it may want to be free and it's nice if people have access to it so that they can do the right thing, um, but you do have to be careful. Um, so I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, we mentioned at the top that you're the first female state forester there. And uh, wondering what you're seeing in terms of uh, the forestry field and um, people in your department. And, you know, are you seeing uh, more women interested in this field? Um, you know, what, what do you see as the future for people in conservation and forestry? Yeah, great question. And, and for sure, when I started, uh, I think I've, been in the Bureau for maybe 16 years or so. And when I started in forestry, and, and now I'm not a traditional forester, so I came up through the, the ecology side of things. Um, really, there were only a handful, handful of women in, in our Bureau. And, and it's now to the point where there's so many, I, don't, I can't count them on hands, um, which is great. Uh, there's been some diversity and change in the, um, in the field, that's for sure. Um, and, and I think you're also seeing forestry change where um, they, you're, it's, it's not the traditional forestry like it was in the past. There's a lot of biology and botany and, and wildlife management and ecology 
built into forestry these days. And there's also, you know, recreation and, and policy. So um, it's really broadened as well. And, um, you know, so what we're seeing is, is a, a diversity of, of folks coming into forestry um, and coming into just generally this natural resource management. And if you look at, um, at least our bureau, when I started, there was a couple in the ecology group, which is where I sat. And now we've got a team of, you know, 20 or so, um, and then a huge natural heritage program uh, tied to that as well. So uh, we're, we're bringing in not just a diversity, uh, you know, male versus female, but a diversity in, in management goals and guidance for the forest as well. Yeah, that's one of the things I think is exciting when the diversity increases, the diversity of ideas and opinions increases. And I think we'll start seeing some really creative um, and new ways of thinking about uh, managing the natural resources, uh, which takes me sort of back to the beginning where we were talking about the TV show Nature and um, the influences on us and how uh, someone like uh, George Page or David Attenborough could feel happy that they inspired people like you and me to go into this field. And I'm curious, you know, is there a goal that you would have when you're at the end of your career where you could look back and say, I'm satisfied with what I was able to achieve because of X? Yeah, and that's a great question. And, and you know, if you sit here long enough, you could go, wait, and I have one more. Um, <laughs> but probably I would say um, just in, in a lot of what we've been working on. So within, within uh, our department or our bureau, we're pretty big. We've got a lot of professionals, you know, more than 500 staff working either on state forest land or on private land or in the natural heritage program. So, um, you know, managing public lands, you, you, know, you can think of this anywhere in, in whatever state you're in, you've got a lot of good resource professionals managing these lands. So biologists and foresters and ecologists and, and a lot of those ologists and professionals that are tied to research and, and all that stuff. So, of course, public lands should be managed at, at, a, at a high level, right? You've got a team of professionals working on them. The important aspect for us is to get that applied across all lands. And so if you think of um, you know, Pennsylvania, and this is just forests, but more than half of the forests are, are privately owned, right? You know, it's, it's a huge amount. And you think of that across the United States as well, and it's the same thing. So when you're thinking of how these, these lands are managed, or, or even if you think of the development that's going in, how do we get these practices, these best management practices of managing for, um, you know, a, a bird species or protecting a, a certain um, plant or how to best protect water quality or anything like that. How do we get those practices just applied across the board, uh, you know, not just on public lands or not just for special projects, but how do we get those um, practices applied across all lands and mm -hmm. how are our folks planning for resiliency and and so the key for us is to get that information shared to private landowners or others so they can incorporate it into their management too you know we can manage public lands to the nth degree all we want but the important aspect is to make sure that we're getting these these practices applied across the board and and I think for me that would be great if, if all of our different uh, uh, 
goals or 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 the the latest research could be applied everywhere. Yeah, that's that's great because you're right. There's so much private land that needs to be managed in a way that's sustainable and taking care of the environment, but also does the things that the private landowner wants it to do for them. Um, it's really important to figure out how to balance those things. And that's one of the things that I think is interesting uh, about NatureServe is that we work very happily with state agencies like you, as well as with private landowners and industry to try and uh, come up with the best outcomes for a biodiversity. Yeah, and I think I think that's an important component as you had mentioned that how to get data out and have free data. I think unless folks are aware of these things and understand where to go or understand how to apply it, they're, they're never gonna know about it. So it's important um, to have organizations like NatureServe that how, I mean, you guys are always thinking about how to collect this and you've always been pushing how to best share it and, and make that information available. You can collect information and research it. Not that I'm against research, but it's an important component to our work. We've got to um, understand how best to manage all these things, but really for us, how do we apply it and how do we get it into the hands of those that are making those decisions? And that's an important component. And, and I think that's just such a great value that um, nature service is providing and helping kind of bring all the, the different states and the heritage programs together to have those conversations um, and, or, or share those resources together and, and together we can be successful in, in, in making those applications. So um, yeah. Well, Ellen, with that public service announcement for NatureServe, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate all that you've done through your career and what you will continue to do in the future to uh, help steward the resources of our planet and uh, create a sustainable environment for us all. And uh, I really thank you for joining us on Conservation Conversations. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I'm looking forward to continuing working with you guys. Excellent. Thanks. All right, happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. As we wrap up our last podcast before the holidays, I'd like to take a short moment to highlight a new way to support biodiversity. Now, through NatureServe's Adopt-a-Species program, you can become a biodiversity champion for a native plant or animal species. In addition to being recognized on your chosen species page on the NatureServe Explorer website, you will be supporting the expert staff at NatureServe in our important mission to protect our most threatened and vulnerable species and ecosystems. Donors also receive a variety of additional benefits at each sponsorship level. Please visit natureserve.org adopt to learn more. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the new year.